All right, well, good morning, Grace Hill. Go ahead, have a seat. Good morning to everyone. Hope you guys are having a great uh, Sunday. It's good to see you. Uh, my name is Alan. I'm one of the pastors here at Grace Hill, and so would love to meet you uh, after the service if uh, there is time for that. Um, if this is your first time, just want to say we're so glad that you're here and uh, joining us. And those to you joining us online, I know there's many of you just grateful that you've been able to tune in with us. And uh, of course, we hope uh, that we get to see you uh, in person really soon. Um, we're going to do things a little differently this morning. Don't worry, I'm not going to make you do anything, get up or anything like that. Um, but this morning, we're going to continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke. We're in Luke part 39. We're starting chapter 12 this morning, this verse-by-verse -verse study through Luke, which is a history of the life and the teachings of Jesus. And so as we continue that, we come to a text in Luke 12, and we're going to do verses 1 to 12 today, that is divided up into three very succinct paragraphs. And I think through these three paragraphs of our text, we learn something really profound about God, and I think we're prompted to reflect and to examine ourselves in some pretty significant ways to the point that, that what I want to do is after each one of these paragraphs, after we learn about what they're saying to us today, I just want to stop and I want us to have some time of reflection. And so that's what we're going to do this morning. We're just going to teach a little bit, then we're going to stop and we're going to reflect and maybe sing a song or, or pray a little bit. Just do something so that we don't go too quickly through the text and some of the things that we're learning here in Scripture and just kind of let them pass by without stopping and asking, God, what does this mean for me? So that's, that's what we're going to do this morning. It's a, it's a little different. We're going to study and reflect a lot. Now, here's the thing about the passage that we're studying this morning. This is one of those passages, especially when we hit the first three verses. It's one of those scriptures in the Bible that really has the potential to impact the image of God that you have in your head. Like when you think about who God is, you know, maybe you think about what, what does God look like? How, how does God behave? What is his personality like? All of these things, right? We kind of try to image God in our head. And, and my question for us as we start is, what is that image? Because this is one of those scriptures that has the opportunity to shape that in good ways, or maybe if we're not reading the text as it's intended, maybe in some not so good ways. Because this is that text, especially verses 1 to 3, that tells us that God sees everything that you do and everything that you think in your heart. And that one day, there like will be a day where all of that is revealed. It's one of those sobering texts, and you're like, wow, that's really scary. Do I really believe that, right? So I'll confess I did this to my kids. I caught one, I forgot who it was, one of them lying about something. And so I was talking to them about it. And I, you know, I asked them if they had lied and they were digging in their heels, trying to keep it going so as not to have to admit to lie. And so I pulled, I pulled it out. I said, hey, you know, God saw whatever occurred, 
right? And, and what that does is it kind of shapes the image of God that we have as this being who sees everything that we do, and that is true, and this being who judges everything that we do, and yes, that is true as well, but almost sometimes this image of like the helicopter parent who's always there looking at everything and critiquing every single thing that you do. And my hope this morning as we read this text and we study it and ask, what does this mean for me? That we walk away with an image of God that's less the constantly critiquing, constantly disappointed in you type of God, but more of a God who cares so deeply for you and knows you so intimately. And he uses all of that knowledge and his presence in your life to lead you into a faith that is real, that works, and that is resilient in this life. That's my hope as we walk away from the text this morning. So let's read it. Luke chapter 12, I'm just gonna do verses one to three. And then we're gonna stop for a few moments to reflect after we teach on it, and then we'll keep going. Luke 12, one to three, it says this. In the meantime, when so many thousands of the people had gathered together, they're all around Jesus, so that they were trampling one another, Jesus began to say to his disciples first, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. Nothing is covered up that will not be revealed or hidden that will not be known. Therefore, whatever you have said in the dark shall be heard in the light, and what you have whispered in private rooms shall be proclaimed on the housetops. Okay, so real quick, let's just press pause. So quick context You have all these crowds around Jesus. Well, what had just occurred, what we taught on last week, Nick preached last week at the end of Luke 11, was Jesus had just gotten finished rebuking the Pharisees. So the Pharisees, religious Jewish leaders of the day, and Jesus was rebuking them for something in particular, and we'll get to that in just a second. And so then he turns to his disciples in the midst of all of this, and he looks at them and says, hey, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So this is an illustration that's used all throughout Scripture, this idea of leaven, all right? Um, You see the phrase in Scripture, a little leaven, leavens the whole lump. That's in a few different places. It's talking about dough and yeast and making bread, right? Uh, The leaven is the yeast. You work just a little bit of yeast into the dough, and you knead it, and that yeast will multiply and expand and help the dough rise, and it spreads throughout the entire batch of dough. And Jesus says... Warning, beware of the leaven of the Pharisees. So he's saying there's something about the Pharisees, we'll find out, but there's something about the Pharisees that if, goes, if it goes unchecked, if it infiltrates into your community or into your life and your faith, it can subtly, just like leaven, spread throughout all of it and infects the whole batch of dough. So, so beware of that. So what is it? What is the leaven of the the Pharisees? Well, I mean, we could go back through the entire gospel of Luke and look at the different ways that Jesus was teaching and challenging and admonishing the Pharisees, the religious establishment of the day. But I think a verse that we read last week sums it up really nicely. 
uh, Luke 11, verse 39, where it says, Jesus said, now you Pharisees cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. In other words, the Pharisees were more concerned about religious decorum, about having more of a performative faith. They cleansed the outside of themselves, but they didn't really deal with the things that were going on inside of their hearts. And you could go through all of Luke and see examples of how Jesus points this out to them. Last week, again, was a great example when Jesus says, hey, you focused so much on certain aspects of the word of God and the law, but yet you neglected other things like justice and loving your neighbor and caring for the poor. And so one of the things as you go through all of Luke and you see how Jesus has addressed the Pharisees, I think we can define the leaven of the Pharisees as this. The leaven of the Pharisees is this, is when our faith becomes more about outward appearance and less about inward transformation. When our faith becomes more about outward appearance than it does inward transformation. We're more concerned about what other people in the church or outside the church think about us, their impression of us, than we actually are concerned about God and what he's calling us to, and what his word says, and the ways in which he's trying to grow us. And so Jesus responds to this, that this leaven that so easily can spread throughout the church is hypocrisy, he says, because, he says, your Father in heaven sees everything. He doesn't just see the outward appearance. He actually sees the condition of your heart, and one day it is going to be revealed. And so Jesus warns, he says, beware of this leaven. Like in the church, in a faith community, just a little bit of performative faith, a little bit of this leaven can easily spread and multiply until it impacts the culture of an entire church body. Where we become more focused on the way we appear to other people and other people's impressions of us, then we are actual deep self-examination of our lives, applying God's word. Then we are actual confession or repentance and seeking to grow in all of those things. And, and what happens when this leaven begins to multiply is the church actually becomes a place where it is not safe to pursue inner transformation. It's not safe to be a place where there can be confession and there can be deep examination and there can be these kinds of things where we're actually trying to grow in our faith and our love and our obedience to Christ. All of our energy will go into appearing to be strong in our faith. And what happens when this occurs, when it starts to multiply, and we're gonna to get to how that happens. But what happens is that our faith, which is about having this connection, this relationship with God, right? Our faith in, in God's word and in Jesus Christ is all about this relationship that we get to have with our creator beyond this world. And what happens to our faith when it becomes more about 
outward appearance, when the leaven of the Pharisee comes in, is actually, it becomes less about connection with God and it becomes more about how other people see me, right? My faith becomes less about glory to God, being centered on God, and it's more centered on me. Becomes less spiritual and more worldly. And I believe that the vision that God has for his church is that it would be a place where people connect with God through the studying of his word, through self-examination and repentance and confession and placing our trust in Christ who saves us from all of our sin, that his church would be a place where it's not about what other people think about us, but it's us banding together to love and to serve God and know him more. That's God's vision for the church. Now, I wanna dig into that more practically, but this is one of those places that I just wanna press pause for just a second. Just wanna press pause. And, and give us some time to reflect on that before we move into how does this happen and what do we do about it? We're gonna get to that in the text. But maybe this is a time that we could just stop, and, and Mel, you could come on up here for a second, where I just wanna give you something on the screen to reflect on. And here's the question that I want you to reflect on just for a minute or two is this. Is this, is my faith, this is a time for examination, right? Is my faith in God centered on myself and outward appearance or is it centered on God and inward transformation? Which one does it seem to be more? And all of us, we know our own hearts the best. And maybe this is just a time to sit with that question. So here's what we're gonna do. I want you to sit with it. I want you to pray about it. I want you to think about it just for a minute or two. And then after that, Brian, he's gonna come up and I've asked him to pray for us. It's a written prayer that you will see on the screen. And as he reads that aloud, uh, would you pray it along with him silently? But let's just take a few minutes on this question.
Let us pray. Oh God, you are alive from eternity to eternity. You are not just at one time or in one place because all times and places are in you. I long to understand my destiny as a child of yours. Here I stand, weak and mortal amid the immensities of nature. But blessed are you, O Lord God, for you have made me in your own likeness and you have breathed into me the breath of your own life. Within this fragile body, you have set a spirit that can relate to your own spirit. Within this perishable being, you have planted what cannot perish. And within this mortal immortality. So from this little room and this early hour, I can lift up my mind beyond all time and space to you, the uncreated one, until the light of your face illuminates my whole life. Let me remember that my mortal body is only the servant of my immortal soul. Let me remember how uncertain my hold is on my own physical life. Let me remember that here I have no continuing city, but only a place for a brief stay and a time for testing and training. Let me use this world without abusing it. Let me be in this world, but not of it. Let me be as though I have nothing and yet possess everything. Let me understand the vanity of what is time-bound and the glory of the eternal. Let my world be centered not in myself, but in you. Almighty God, you raised your son from the dead and set him at your right hand in everlasting glory. Thank you for this hope of immortality with which through many ages you have cheered and enlightened the souls of your people, a hope which you have made secure through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Brian, for praying that for us. When we think about leaven, the yeast that works its way through some dough, the leaven can't spread unless there's some other ingredients present for it to feed on, right? So if you're making a batch of dough, what is something that the yeast needs in order to expand? Sugar, right? That's the fuel that, that lets the yeast grow. And so a question of how does this kind of leaven, the leaven of the Pharisee, grow and expand throughout the church or a faith community, then we need to ask, well, what is the ingredients that it feeds on? Let's go to our text, Luke 12. We're going to do four to seven now as we work through it. Jesus is continuing with his disciples, and he says, I tell you, my friends, do not fear those who kill the body and after that have nothing more that they can do. But I will warn you whom to fear. Fear him who, after he has killed, has authority to cast into hell. 
Yes, I tell you, fear him. Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? And not one of them is forgotten before God. Why, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more of value than many sparrows. If we ask ourselves the question, what is the very thing that the leaven of the Pharisees feeds on so that it can grow and expand within a church or within a faith community? And I believe the answer to our text here, from our text here, is it is our fear of one another. Fear of man, fear of other people. When we are afraid of what other people think about us, what other people might do to us, then it is the perfect environment for the leaven of the Pharisee to begin to work its way throughout the community. Because if we are all fearing what others think about us, then we now have no choice but to focus our faith on the outward appearance rather than what's going on on the inside. Uh, Talking about fear of man, um, Ed Welch, uh, fantastic author, um, he wrote this in his book, When People Are Big and God Is Small. He says this, "We, we fear people because they can expose and humiliate us. We fear people because they can reject, ridicule, or despise us. We fear people because they can attack, oppress, or threaten us. None of those things, unfortunately, is foreign to the church. He says, these three reasons have one thing in common. They see people as bigger, that is more powerful and significant, than God. When we look at our text this morning, it's Jesus is very clearly saying, don't fear man who, yes, can do those things. Those things like humiliate us and expose us and reject us and ridicule us and oppress us. Don't fear man who, yes, they can do those things, but fear God who also has authority over your soul, has authority to judge your soul. Fear God. But there is a difference between fearing people who are unpredictable and fearing God because he's good. When we think about fearing people who are unpredictable, what what I mean by that is we, we don't know people's motives We don't know what people's agenda is. Uh, Those things can change. People are fickle, right? But when we look at God, we see someone who has authority over us, like complete authority. We cannot challenge it. We cannot overtake it. We cannot appeal it. We cannot band together and somehow reverse his authority over us. We can't do any of those things. He has complete authority over us and our souls, and yet he uses it for our good. There's a big difference between fearing someone because they're unpredictable and we don't know what they're about and fearing God because we know that he's good. I hope my kids fear me in that way. 
that they recognize my authority over them and they respect my authority over them, but they know down to their bones that I'm gonna use that for their absolute good and flourishing and not for evil. And the text tells us this morning, this is really stark contrast in the text. Did you see that? It says, don't fear man. Yeah, they can hurt your body, but fear God because he can cast you into hell. But guess what? He cares deeply about you. He loves you. In fact, he knows you more than anybody else knows you. He knows you more than you know you. It's not that God has a thing about counting hairs. It's a way of saying that God knows everything about you. And so in verse two to three of our text, right, we learn that God sees all. He has been with us through every single part of our lives. He has seen all the good things and he has seen all the bad things. He has seen your heart in its most compassionate state and he has seen your heart in its most hateful, bitter state. He has heard every question that you have asked. If you have praised him in his heart, he has heard it. If you have cursed him in your heart, he has heard it. He has been with you through every moment of your life, every time where you've suffered, every time where you've been angry, every time where you have felt all alone as if there was no God. He's been with you through every bit of it. That's what we learn from verse two and three. And all of it will be revealed. But we also learn in verse seven, where it says, even the hairs of your head are all numbered. Fear not. You are more value than many sparrows. What we learn there is that we can trust God with what he has seen. Do you think about that for a second? It's terrifying to think that someone has witnessed everything, right? Even the thoughts of your heart. And what we learn from the text is that we can trust God with what he has seen and what he has witnessed and what he has heard and the things in your heart. So this is what we've learned about God this morning already, right? He sees all, everything, and he has the authority to judge your soul, but yet he is good and he wants to use all of those things for your good, and we can trust him with what he has seen. And knowing that will lead to a faith where it just makes sense. It makes sense, knowing this about God, for our faith to be marked by a desire to grow, a desire to examine, a desire to confess and repent, a desire to continue to be conformed to the image of Christ and know his word. It makes no sense to try to fool God and others by just being about the outward appearance. When we know this about God, the leaven of the Pharisees makes zero logical sense. Sure, maybe we get to fool a few people around us about our piety or the strength of our faith, but we don't fuel God. And in fact, God is inviting us into a life with him where we recognize his authority and we recognize that he sees all so that he can use those things for our good and help us grow. 
Like this is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that God has looked upon us and he has seen our need. He has seen the fact that we cannot be right with him without his grace and mercy. So he sends his son Jesus so that we can be forgiven and that we can be brought into a relationship with God where we can grow, where perfection is not what's expected from us, but we're actually relying upon God to use his authority and his knowledge to grow us into perfection. This is the gospel. This is what it means to have a a relationship with Jesus. To just recognize he sees all, he knows all, he has authority over all, and yet I can trust him with that. And so the lingering question that we have this morning is, okay, Alan, that sounds great, but how, how do I break free from this fear of other people that plagues so many of our hearts? That's the question. And I want to get to the answer to that question in verses 8 to 12, but I think this is another time to pause. A good time for us to reflect I'll invite Mel to come back up if you'd like. Because I I don't want us to move quickly beyond this truth that you can trust that God will use what he has seen in your life for your good. That you are completely exposed. There is not one thing hidden There's not one thing that you're fooling God over or I'm fooling God over. And that that is such good news because even in the midst of that, God still wants a relationship with you. He still wants to see you grow. You're not too far gone. He hasn't cast you off. So let's take a moment. Let's reflect on that statement right there. You can trust that God will use what he has seen for your take a moment to think about that and then we're going to sing about it and then we'll continue. Back to our text, the question that we have that's lingering for us is, how do we break free from that fear of one another, of other people? The the, the fear that allows the leaven of the Pharisee to feed throughout the community. Truth is, we just sang it, but let's read it too. Luke chapter 12, verses 8 to 12, And and I'll warn you, this is a passage that's going to generate a lot of questions. We'll work through them. But there's one aspect of the passage that I believe is the answer to our question we're gonna zoom in on for our time. But here's what it says. Jesus is continuing with his disciples. He says, and I tell you, everyone who acknowledges me before men, me, Jesus, the son of man, he, the son of man, will also acknowledge before the angels of God. But the one who denies me before men will be denied before the angels of God. 
And everyone who speaks a word against the Son of Man will be forgiven, but the one who blasphemes against the Holy Spirit will not be forgiven. And when they bring you before the synagogues and the rulers and the authorities, do not be anxious about how you should defend yourself or what you should say, for the Holy Spirit will teach you in the very hour what you ought to say. Now let's work through this text just line by line here for a second. We can wrap our heads around it, then pull out from it what I want us to get uh, this morning. So verse eight and verse nine, I believe is the answer to our question, right? What, what is the way to life? It is through acknowledging Christ. How do we break free from our fear of other people? It is through acknowledging Christ. And acknowledging Christ means not just professing a belief in Jesus and Christ, but professing your need for Christ. And so we're going to come back to that and exactly what that means. But verse 8 and 9, Jesus is essentially saying, hey, listen, what is the way to life? What is the way to relationship with God? It is through acknowledging Christ. And those who deny Christ will not have that. It is only through Jesus. But then as we work our way through the text, we get to this other text that talks about speaking against or blaspheming against the Holy Spirit and how this sin, this thing that we could do is, is, cannot be forgiven. And that, that generates all kinds of questions. And let me just say that that verse has been generating questions amongst theologians for centuries. This is one of those verses that, that many people, there's lots of debate and there's lots of discussion over what exactly this means. And, and the reason for that is this verse seems to go against so much theology that we get in the New Testament of this reality that Christ conquers all of our sin. That if we place our trust in him, that he cleanses us from all of our sin, past, present, and future. But wait, there seems to be something that it doesn't cleanse us from. What is that? How do you commit that? This, this is a great question. And I'm gonna confess to you, I don't think I know the exact answer, but I can, give you a, I can give it a shot. One of the things that we have to realize about this very specific verse is we see it in the other gospels and it always comes after this encounter that Jesus has with a person where he casts a demon out of the person. We read this in Luke 11 a couple weeks ago, the beginning of Luke 11, where Jesus casts a demon out of someone and the people around and the Jews and the Pharisees, they attribute that very work of Jesus casting this demon out to Satan himself. They, they look at the works of Jesus and what he's doing in the world and they say, that's evil. And so when we think about the Holy Spirit, one of the roles that the Holy Spirit plays, right, as a member of the Godhead, is he applies the works and the will of God to our lives and to the world. He's here, the active agent, right? So it's by the Holy Spirit that Jesus cast this demon out of that man. And so what I believe it means to blaspheme against the Holy Spirit is to take the things of God, take the works of God, all right, and attribute them to evil. Not doing so in ignorance, but doing so in full knowledge. So I think an example of someone who committed the sin is Satan himself. 
Satan has full knowledge of who God is. Satan has full knowledge of the word of God. He does not deny the word of God as being untrue. He just thinks it's bad. He does not deny the word of God as being untrue. He just thinks it's evil. That's exactly what Satan does at the garden is he goes to Adam and Eve and he tries to convince them that what God has said, I'm not denying that he said it. What I'm saying is it's not good for you. And so I think whenever we take up a ministry with full knowledge of God's word and believing that it's true, but trying to convince people that it is bad, it is evil, I believe that is blaspheming against the Holy Spirit. That's my take. But I think our takeaway from this right here is not that we should be really fearing if we are committing this sin or not. I actually think it's impossible for born again, regenerate Christians who love Jesus and have been changed by Jesus to actually commit this sin. So I don't think our takeaway needs to be fear, but I think our takeaway is that the way to life is through acknowledging the goodness of God and that what he says, what he does and who he is, is for our good and acknowledging Christ and our need for him. And then as we continue in our text, we get to verses 11 and 12, talking about this idea of when we're brought before other people, don't be anxious about how you'll defend yourself because the Holy Spirit in that very hour is gonna give you what to say. This is a prayer I pray every Sunday at about 9.55. I believe that what we get from this text right here is uh, basically this continue. Don't worry about how you appear before others. Don't worry about how you're gonna defend yourself, how you're gonna convince them. Don't worry about what they think about your faith. Trust that the Holy Spirit himself is gonna be there for you to give you the words to say. In other words, I believe both of these other portions of our text are other ways of saying acknowledge Christ. Acknowledge Christ before men. That is the ministry, that is the thing that I have called you to do is to acknowledge Christ. And so what I wanna do is I want to spend just the remainder of our time digging into what does that mean to acknowledge Christ and why is this the way that we break free from the fear of man? Because this is the way to life. Not just professing our belief in Christ as some deity, but professing our need for Christ. That's how you break free from the fear of man. You know, vulnerability breeds vulnerability. And in the same way, invulnerability breeds invulnerability. So when we think of the leaven of the Pharisees, this idea of my faith is kind of more about the outward appearance than the inward reality or the inward transformation. One of the things that we realize is that that feeds on fear of man. So as we fear each other, as we desire to impress one another, as we're fearing of the judgment of other people, that kind of yet lets the leaven of the Pharisees expand throughout the entire church. And that requires invulnerability, right? If my faith is gonna be more about outward appearance and if fear of man is in the community, then it is not safe to be vulnerable, right? To be vulnerable means to open yourself up for attack, 
So I must be invulnerable. I can't let people see the real me. I can't ask the actual questions that I have. I can't confess my sin to others or confess of the areas of struggle. I must be invulnerable. And obviously that spreads like yeast all the way through. And the reality is it takes an act of disobedience to the culture that is the leaven of the Pharisees to break that cycle. It takes vulnerability to acknowledge Christ. It takes vulnerability. You cannot acknowledge Christ without vulnerability. Again, not just acknowledging our belief in Christ, but our need for Christ because we have to open ourselves up and we have to say, Jesus, I need you. I can't do this without you. I'm not holy enough. I have all kinds of questions. My faith goes up and down all on my own, by myself. I cannot do this. Jesus, I need you. That takes vulnerability. And the antidote to the fear of man is being a part of a body of believers that acknowledges Christ. And look at the text. Acknowledges Christ before men. And that takes vulnerability to do it before one another, to say, yes, I need Jesus. For us to do that as a community, we are a community of people that are imperfect, that needs Jesus. We do not have it all together, all on our own. And just like the leaven of the Pharisee that feeds on the fear of man and spreads throughout the community, the leaven of Christ feeds on the fear of God and our trust in him and his sovereignty and him using everything that he knows about us for our good. That, just like the leaven of the Pharisees, will also spread throughout the community because invulnerability will breed invulnerability, but vulnerability, trust in Christ, professing a need for Christ will breed the same exact And so Grace Hill, I I want this to be a church that rejects the leaven of the Pharisees and feeds on the leaven of Christ. How do we do that? By being a place that isn't afraid of struggle and weakness. That being, being a place that takes so seriously the holiness of God and his call upon us to follow him that we would never forsake that for outward appearance. That this wouldn't be a place where it's weird to confess sin or ask for help or ask questions that we may not think we should be asking. And, and that's my way of saying that if you are that person, if you are someone like me who struggles, if you are someone that has big questions of the faith like me, you're welcome here. You're welcome at this place. You're welcome to come and to show your weakness. You're welcome to come and and get help. You're welcome to come and acknowledge Christ with the rest of us because acknowledging Christ is an ask for help. It's acknowledging your need for help. It's acknowledging your lack of perfection. It's acknowledging that, listen, if this is about outward appearance, I'm done. I can't do it. You cannot acknowledge Christ and feed on the leaven of the Pharisees. And that's the vision that I believe God has for our church. 
And so what do we do? What do we do in those moments when we are ridiculed? Because it happens. What do we do in those moments where we feel like judgment is occurring because it happens? What do we do in those moments when we feel like people don't want us to be vulnerable? In fact, they'd rather like to be invulnerable. We acknowledge Christ. We say our need here is for Christ and his help. We are not perfect around here because when we do the opposite, we feed the leaven of the Pharisee. And the thing about leaven is that just a little bit will infect the entire community. And so what I want us to do as we end is I wanna give all of us a moment to acknowledge Christ in our own hearts. Just to get into that place in our hearts where we go, Christ, I need you. And so maybe you've been following Jesus for a long time. If you've been following Jesus for a long time, you've probably realized that you need to acknowledge Christ every hour of every day. Jesus, I need you. I need your help. I can't do this on my own. I need you to help grow me. Maybe if you haven't been following Christ for very long, just just a reminder for you that the goal of your faith is not to reach perfection in this life. Jesus will reach that perfection for you in the next. The goal of this life is to follow Jesus, to trust in him, to let you, him grow you as you offer yourself to him and acknowledge him. So here's a moment right here for you just to be reminded, to acknowledge Christ right now and your need for him. And if you don't know Christ, or if you're not sure what you believe about Christ, this is my way of just inviting you in to say, listen, if you feel like that your life just isn't quite clean enough in order to be right with God, then you're exactly where Christ wants you. Because it will never be without him. And what he wants is people who will say, Jesus, I'm not good enough for you. I need you because that's what it means to acknowledge Christ before men. And so I wanna just in this moment, we're gonna end with a song and I'm gonna pray for us, but through this song, may this be a moment for you, wherever you find yourself in your faith journey, for you to acknowledge Christ and you to acknowledge your need for him and for us to spread the leaven of Christ which is to be a faith community where we help each other grow in Christ's likeness instead of just being about the outward appearance. Let me pray. Father, as we have studied your text today in Luke chapter 12, there's so many things in that text and there's so many things to learn from it and far more than we can learn just in one uh, sermon. But but God, I, I pray specifically against the leaven of the Pharisee in this church. God, I pray that if there is the fear of man in this church, this fear of what other people think about us, that, that God, you would use us, use your people to calm those fears by being a people who openly come to you and acknowledge our need for you. By being a people who create a safe place for people to confess sin and to repent and to not be perfect and to be on their journey of growth. God, would you create that environment, that culture? Would you spread the leaven of Christ in this community? Would we be a safe place for people to be known? Would we be a safe place for people to experience the grace and the mercy and the love of Christ.
God, we surrender before you and we know that you know everything about us. And we know that in Christ, if we have acknowledged you, that you have forgiven us and you're going to lead us towards growth and obedience. And I pray, God, that we would surrender to that rather than just making our faith centered on ourselves and all about outward appearance. God, I confess it is such a temptation. And would you protect us from that? So God, right now, we just wanna take a moment out of worship of you to acknowledge Christ and our need for him. Pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.